to Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. This podcast is a ministry of Bible Baptist Church of Solis. I'm your host, Pastor Nick Boothman. With me today is Pastor Jay Riggleman, Senior Pastor of Bible Baptist Church of Sodas. Welcome, Pastor Jay. Thanks, Nick, because it's good to be with you this morning. Our topic today is, Can I Lose My Salvation? Pastor Jay, I've talked to many people who really struggle with this issue. And not, I'm not just talking about an intellectual struggle. I mean, they themselves come to church and think, did God abandon me? Did I lose my salvation? Or they're thinking about their son, their daughter, their brother, somebody they love, where, you know, way back when they made a profession of faith, 10, 20 years later, they've walked away. Were they ever saved? Did they lose their salvation? So this, this topic is very complicated, complex, but it's also very practical. So I'm excited to jump in uh, this with you. So I'll just give it back to you, Pastor Jay. Can someone lose their salvation? Well, Nick, I, I appreciate you bringing up this topic. And as we began to kind of do some research together prior to our our time this morning, uh, I, I was I was just reminded of, like you said, the complexity and intensity of this topic, and it really caused me to go back and do a pretty thorough study f- uh, from the scriptures. And the reason why this is so important is because I think that when it comes to losing our salvation, uh, this can be a powerful tool that Satan likes to use to discourage believers. Um, He also likes to use it to stunt their spiritual growth and to hinder their prayer life because if someone thinks they've lost their salvation, they're not really sure why they should even pray. And it also limits our outreach effectiveness because if I'm not confident in my own salvation, why would I be uh, excited about sharing the gospel with someone else? Um, So I thought it might be helpful to start this morning by giving a brief uh, definition of eternal security. Uh, To me, eternal security is the doctrine that when someone places their faith in Christ alone as their Savior, God not only forgives their sin, but also brings them into a permanent relationship with Him that guarantees their eternal security. So eternal security is the result of God keeping us, not us keeping our salvation. And again, if I could boil it down to just a, a brief statement, I would say this, that God protects those he elects. And as is our regular format here on Theology Matters, we're going to look at what the Bible says regarding uh, the topic of, of eternal security. And I want to do this by just briefly touching on four uh, biblical statements concerning, again, this idea of eternal security and addressing the question, uh, can I lose uh, my salvation? So that's where we're going to go today. And uh, feel free to, to interrupt or interject at any moment during this as we look at God's Word together. Uh, so first of all is the promise of eternal security. And there are several verses, but I want to highlight a few that to me are very encouraging about my relationship with God uh, based on His uh, promises about uh, salvation. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the good work that Paul is referring to is the good work of salvation. Paul was completely confident in what God started in his life as a believer and and understood that it would be brought or reach its completion at Christ's return. So there would be no salvation that would be unfulfilled or uncompleted by God. 
I love this verse. I, I just remembered it was about seven, eight years ago, and I was struggling. I, I was just having doubts and uh, a period of just habitual sin and, and those things. And I, I remember an uh, older guy brought me aside, and he gave me this verse and said, summarized it, saying, you were saved. God's not going to give up on you. Right. And he showed me the, the confidence that Paul had, has, had, and the confidence that we can have that, like what you're saying, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. So me personally, this verse has really encouraged me in my walk. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad I could be the old guy to remind you again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love the fact that it's so clear in this verse that the confidence is focused on God, him doing the work, not us kind of trying to maintain or sustain or just uh, pull together enough in our own strength to make sure that our, uh, our salvation is secure. But God is the one who promises and keeps it, and that's great. Another uh, verse is, or a couple verses is found in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, where Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, there's this promise of the new birth, our salvation, through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, which means it's waiting for us. But again, are, are we the ones who determine whether it really be actualized? The answer is no. It's shielded by God's power through the coming of the salvation that will be revealed in the future. So Peter reminds us that those who have been born again through Christ have a guaranteed and untarnished inheritance, a promise kept by God's power. Then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. I think this is talking about the moment when someone gives their life to Christ, when they declare uh, their trust in Jesus Christ. And it says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So I think according to these two verses, that eternal security is signed, sealed, and ultimately delivered as evidenced by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is God promising and delivering and securing it for us. And then one more passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Know for, sure, for certain that you have eternal life. So I think that uh, eternal security is a promise given very strongly in the Scriptures. Yeah, that's, that's a really good treatment of, like you said, the promise of eternal security from a biblical standpoint, some of our listeners might be thinking, um, okay, there's Bible passages that promise eternal security. That's what it looks like. But I want to be devil's advocate for our listeners who aren't here. I'm here. Um, because they might think, well, I read my Bible and there seems to be some passages that 
uh, say or at least hint at that we can lose our salvation. And some of the popular ones that are brought up is like John 15, where it says that God cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit, uh, which seems to indicate there's a cutting off. So at one point they were connected or in Hebrews, the warning passages where uh, it seems to indicate that someone experiences salvation and then falls away. And it says that it's impossible for them to be brought back or the unpardonable sin passage is often brought up of, can I do anything that is so bad that, okay, th- this is when God gives up on me. And I'm not, I'm not expect because of time purposes, I'm not expecting you to go in depth for all these passages, but maybe just some, some helpful thoughts about when we go through these passages that seem to indicate that we can lose our salvation. Yeah, those are, those are good questions to wrestle with, good passages to uh, look at. And like you said, for the sake of time, we can't go to all of those in depth. I will say in, in just a few moments, we're going to, uh, I think we're going to move our conversation into talking a little bit more about uh, what does it mean when we uh, say that maybe someone fell away from the faith? Um, what does that look like and uh, how does that fit in with eternal security? So we'll look at maybe those kind of things as it relates to the to fruit and also the warning passages. But I do want to address just the uh, unpardonable sin, because I think in my mind, in that context where Jesus brings up the unpardonable sin, he's talking to a group of religious leaders who are, who are not saved. Um, so it wasn't like he's talking to a group of saved people that commit this sin, and now they become a non or unsaved. He's basically saying to them, here's something that will separate you from God, because you're, you're not there yet, religious leaders. And what they did is they attributed the power of Jesus Christ um, uh, to Satan, basically rejecting Jesus as Messiah. And so I think for anybody, um, as they're contemplating about uh, salvation, if somebody rejects Jesus Christ, um, that would separate them from God as far as salvation is concerned. But again, I think that it starts with that these religious leaders were not saved and then became unsaved. So I don't know if that no, sufficed the devil's advocate over there enough, but we'll, we'll get back to some of those things. So let me talk some more, just a little bit about some biblical um, ideas of uh, eternal security and what's found there. So we had the promise of eternal security. And then secondly is the protection of eternal security. And this is linked to number one, because I I can make a promise to you, Nick, or you could make a promise to me or someone else. And it could be a very grandiose or really intense promise. But if I find out later on that you have no intention or you don't have the ability to fulfill that promise, it's it's kind of just, it's void. It's really kind of veiled in its uh, effectiveness or in its... uh, just its its impression on me because you can't back it up. So we can make all these statements about here's the promise of eternal security that God's going to do this, God's going to do this. But then can he back it up or does he back up these promises? Well, yes. Uh, and, and one particular passage I think really zones in on or, or kind of focuses in on the protection of eternal security. John chapter 10, 28 and 29, the words of Jesus. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
And this protection is given in John chapter 10 in the context of a believer being part of the flock of, of Christ or the flock of God. There's a shepherd and sheep analogy in John chapter 10. And the idea of snatch is, is giving the listeners, at least to, that were listening to Jesus, the picture of a robber coming in and taking one of the sheep away. And Jesus saying, listen, when it comes to eternal life, no one or nothing can snatch a flock member out of my hand or out of the hand of God because we're watching, we're protecting, we're providing that for them. They are under the power and protection of God. So the promise that was made is going to be fulfilled because of the protection of, of God and of Jesus Christ. So I know that even if I have moments of doubt in my salvation because maybe some of the things that I'm thinking or doing or some of the things I'm struggling with, I know that a genuine follower of Christ and if I'm a genuine father of Christ, which I consider myself to be, I know that nothing can snatch me away from this idea of eternal security. God is protecting me. And I, I've heard the analogy, and I, I like it, that I'm in the hand of Christ, and then God's hand, God the Father's hands over Christ and me. And so, like, how am I possibly uh, going to get out of this? I wouldn't want to, uh, but I can't, and nothing can pull me out of that. And even Satan and his uh, greatest schemes uh, cannot do that. Um, so that's not possible. Another thought about eternal security is the preservation of eternal security. And Jude, um, there's only one chapter, so verses 24 and 25 say, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, from his, or to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So the preservation of eternal security here is this, that Jesus will keep not only, will not only preserve believers, uh, but he will also present them to the Father without fault and with great joy. Christ will keep true believers from falling. And I love the fact that it says it's going to happen now and forevermore, now and in the coming ages, that Christ is going to present us, preserve us, and present us to the Father without fault and great joy, which means um, nothing's going to happen to a true believer in the process of his life that all of a sudden he's disqualified for that presentation, that pre preservation. Yeah, that's really good. I, I just want to ask a question. Um, in my experience, when people, a lot of times when people are struggling with, um, am I saved? Did I lose my salvation? There's usually a lot of uh, I statements and pressure on themselves of, I did something too bad this time, or I'm not sure, or I messed up. It seems like what you're saying is, we, we obviously have a, a role in working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we're, you know, we're supposed to change with God's power, but this verse seems to indicate that it's God's responsibility to preserve us. Is that, am I thinking through that correctly? Absolutely, absolutely. Because we, we've uh, talked about here at church different parts of what we call sanctification. There's positional sanctification when at the moment of salvation, God declares you're righteous and you become one of the, part of the family of God. And then there's progressive, our, our, our desire to become more like Christ. And then there's permanent sanctification. But it, it starts with that first part of positional. And, and really, I have nothing to do with um, creating that position in Christ. I, I, I receive it by faith, but the idea of who declares me righteous? 
God does. Who, who places me in the family of God? God does. Who, who uh, forgives my sins? God does. So I have to be careful to make sure I understand that if I make that declaration at the moment of salvation, why am I so uh, easily turned in the midst of my Christian life to turn all the focus on me? Like I initially, yeah, I believe that God saved me, but now I'm not sure if I'm still saved. I'm not sure if I'm not good enough. I'm not sure if I'm doing the right things, or I know I did some, uh, I sinned again today. And, and now we, we change the focus when, hey, listen, we want to work out our salvation, like you said. But that moment of salvation is not about me. It's about God and what he has done. And he will preserve it because he started it. So last um, biblical thought about eternal security is the permanence of it. John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So rights back then, to become a child of God, like to be adopted, were permanent rights. They could not be removed. So the, the readers listening to John's statement there would have understood that if someone believes in Jesus Christ and God grants them the right to become a, ch a child of God, that could not be revoked based on their cultural understanding. And then in Galatians chapter 4, Paul said, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Again, they would have understood in that culture, in the Roman culture, and, and just in, in the first century, that adoption, when someone was adopted, it was a permanent thing. You could not have it revoked. Um, and, and so you take it to the next level and a spiritual level. The idea is if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're adopted into the family of God, it is permanent. I am so confident that once I became a child of God, there's not going to be a point where God is going to uh, say to me, you know what, I'm sorry, I decided I don't want you in the family anymore. I know I can disappoint the father, but I will not lose my position as one of his children. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I love this illustration of... It, it became a lot more real to me when I became a father, but just that relationship between if you have kids, you and your own kids where you're always going to be their parent. I'm always going to be Landon and Sophie's father. And there can be certain things that strain our relationship, but I'm always going to be their father. And the same thing, uh, God, our father, once we enter into that relationship, yeah, there, there can be relational things that are strained, but that relationship is always there once we're saved. Yeah. And I, I think that's helpful for me to think through it. So Absolutely. And my, and, and my two kids are adopted. And on a human level, as much as it can resonate with what God has done, um, when we adopted our kids, we said to them from early on, we're all in. You're, you're going to hear that you're adopted, and you may have some friends who are like, what does that mean? Does that mean that they can change their mind? No, we, we told them right from the beginning, we're all in. And... God just takes that again to the next level. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he's like, you're in, and there's no way you're going out. That's really good. What would you say about the person who made a profession of faith? So at some point in their life, they, they prayed the prayer, um, they walked the aisle, something like that. They made a profession of faith, and then they walked away from the faith. What would you say to that person or about that person? Would you say, would you be comfortable saying that 
person did not lose their salvation? What, what's happening there? Because that, that confuses a lot of people. You know, my, my son, my daughter, when they were 10, I was there and there was tears and they made that profession and they were involved with youth group. 15 years later, they're, they're, they're away. And I know every situation is different, but what are some principles you have for, for that kind of situation? Yeah. So, Nick, before we get into this uh, very light topic, thank you uh, for uh, bringing this up. Before we get into this uh, particular part of the topic of eternal security, I just want to say in a personal note, and you have alluded to this, that I understand that for, for you and, and for me and for many of our listeners, this is very um, painful for people, some people, because... They have had uh, a son or a daughter or a family member or a dad or maybe a youth pastor or some uh, preacher that they followed or some Christian leader that they looked up to that uh, after a number of years, all of a sudden the person just abandons the faith and they're just at a loss um, to, to know how to respond to this and, and what do they do so, uh, or what should they do. And so as I give some of my thoughts, I, I want our listeners to know that I, I understand the feeling behind this, and I'm not trying just to be, you know, rattle off some statements and just, hey, let's, let's just go from here. I understand that this is a difficult process to be working through, but I do think that the Bible uh, can give us some help and some insight on, on dealing with this idea of somebody walking away from the faith. So I'm going to start this way, and I want to be super clear if I can. Uh, I, the question that you asked, are you, are you saying that a person uh, who does this did not lose their salvation? I want to say this. I'm comfortable with saying that genuine believers can't lose their salvation. But in this scenario that you kind of introduced, I would be very cautious by saying that this person perhaps was never really saved in the first place. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit. So again, I don't think a genuine believer can lose their salvation, but I'm cautious that perhaps this person that you're talking about that walked away was never really saved in the first place. And what, my, what catches or what caught my attention in the description that you used was that you said that they walked away from the faith. So in answering this question, I would suggest an important distinction between two types of people. I see the Bible uh, teaching that there is a significant difference between a person who walks away from the faith and the person who struggles in their faith. Let me say that again. I think there's a difference between a person who walks away from the faith and the person who struggles in their faith. So let's assume we're not talking about the everyday struggle with sin that Christians deal with, or even times when believers are blatantly disobedient, um, but something maybe a little bit more serious. So uh, I'm, we're not talking about the person who struggles in their faith. Let's talk about the person who we identify with as maybe walking away from the faith. So in other words, can a genuine believer walk away from the faith? Um, and I'm going to lean towards no in my answer. Uh, I'm going to lean towards that. And the main reason is because of the principle of apostasy. Now, I know that's a, a, you know, a big word or maybe a new concept to our listeners, but uh, here's what it means as far as a brief definition. Apostasy is decisively turning away from the faith. And there are basically two types of apostasy. A falling away, number one, it's a falling away from key and true doctrines of the Bible into heretical teachings that claim to be the real Christian doctrine. 
and it can mean a complete renunciation of the Christian faith, which results in a full abandonment of Christ. So the idea is apostasy is, is someone who has, uh, has distorted uh, the teachings, uh, the fundamental uh, teachings, the, the really important teachings or doctrines of the Christian faith, and, and has distorted them and, and, and turned them into heresy and claims those to be uh, the real doctrinal uh, uh, tenets of the Christian faith. Or it's someone who completely uh, abandons Christ completely denies Christ, denies Christ as the Son of God, resurrection, deity, all those kind of things. And I really think that the Bible identifies someone who intentionally and maliciously turns from the tenets of the faith and apostate as being uh, both a false teacher and a false convert. So there's that difference in my mind from someone who's struggling in their faith than someone who basically says, I don't want this anymore, uh, I don't believe this anymore, or this is what I believe, and it's so far removed from the truth of Scripture. I think the Bible has a couple passages that I would take people to. One is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, where it says, They went out from us, talking about those who uh, leave the faith, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And, and what's kind of uh, alluded to here is the idea that it's not talking about someone who's struggled and, and kind of walks away a little bit because they're struggling with sin or struggling in their Christian walk. I think it's talking about someone who's basically walked away and said, I, I, don't, I don't want this, I don't believe this, or they walk away and they're just, they're teaching, not just maybe caught up in false doctrine, but they're actually embracing it and teaching it as truth. Um, I think it's talking about them in this verse where it's saying uh, they walked away because they never really were part of us. Because can a true Christian turn and actively lead people away from Christ or turn and actively and maliciously and intentionally deny Christ? It seems like the Bible indicates that that is not something that should or could happen. Another is Matthew chapter 10, 32 to 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me for other, before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, I, I think it's pretty clear now, and I don't know, maybe your little devil's advocate thing is working. For me, I was thinking about what about, you know, someone in a, in a persecuted country where, you know, the, the persecutor has their wife or their kids in front of them and says, unless you uh, denounce Christ, we're going to kill your family. And at that moment of weakness, they're like, uh, no, I denounce Christ, and they save their family. And you're like, did they all of a sudden lose their salvation or were they never really saved in the first place? I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about someone who's, there really isn't that pressure. It's just they, they are, they're saying, I don't believe in Christ. I, I, I believe in this false doctrine. And it's not because of that pressure. It's because they just, they never embraced it in the first place. Uh, it, it was just never something that found root in their lives. So I want to summarize this in just a moment, but I don't know if there's anything else that's coming into your mind. This, there's a lot more that I could be talking about here. You're like, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. So here, here's a few things I want to summarize as it relates to that question that you asked uh, about somebody walking away from the faith. So here we go. Number one, I do think there can be a profession, but no true possession. 
So I, I do think that somebody could make a profession of faith and it not be genuine. Um, and part of that, Nick, is our fault. Where we sometimes pressure people or we sing 17 verses of just as I am, or we make it emotional. We don't really talk uh, about the rational and intellectual and intentional decision uh, to be made. We don't talk about really the full gamut of discipleship or what it means to become a follower of Christ. I'm not saying we should make it too complicated, but sometimes we have been are, uh, guilty of easy believism. Uh, just sign this card here or say this prayer and you're good to go no matter what. I think that's, um, that's unfortunate. So I think there can be that profession, but no true possession. I mean, let's be honest. You and, I, you and I have both worked with young people. We've worked with children. If you and I put a group of little kids in front of us and just kind of hammered away about hell, we could probably get most of them to make a profession of faith uh, based on their fear of uh, eternity and hell. Um, but... Would all those professions be genuine? I don't know. I'm not sure. So that's kind of what they're Also, um, I believe uh, a true believer may fall into disobedience and they can struggle with doubt, but a true believer will never renounce Christ, not to the magnitude of what we're seeing some people doing. And also, um, a person who has renounced Christ by his words or deeds has not really lost their salvation, in my opinion. Rather, they're demonstrating uh, they never had genuine faith. So that's how I would answer that. Uh, I do believe there are people who seemed like they were Christians, but can prove later not to be Christians. Thank you, Pastor Jay. I'm I'm a little to blame because I write the questions. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just like drinking out of a fire hose. There's a lot here, a lot to digest, a lot of uh, passages, which is good. And uh, we want to wrestle with it because like we talked about, it's very practical. And I, I just want to agree with you about the um, whole easy believism and false professions. I mean, I've been in several situations where there's a lot of pressures to um, close the deal, almost kind of like mm-hmm. what you're talking about, a, a business transaction of, you know, did they sign the dotted line? Did they, and there's pressure from the church. There's, there might be pressure from parents of, you know, my kid needs to be saved and all my problems will go away and all those different things. And a lot of it comes from a heart that wants people to know Christ. But like what you're saying, I think as a church, we have to um, slow down a little bit and make sure people understand and believe the gospel, truly believe it because that prayer is not magic formula. God doesn't work like that. He wants us to believe. So I, I think that's that's really good. Yeah. I uh Pastor Jay, could you walk us through another difficult topic? <laughs> How someone can know or have assurance that they're saved. Sure, I'd be I'd be happy to do that. I, I really enjoyed this uh, part of our discussion or at least the research for it, because I think it, it should be hopefully very helpful because, you know, you're talking about the easy, easy believism and those kind of things. And so maybe a parent or us as, as, as pastors, we're leading somebody to Christ and we want them to be confident knowing that their salvation is eternal. But then they might be thinking, okay, I, I was genuine uh, in, in my decision. And so down the road, how, how will I know? Or maybe someone comes to us and says, here's my situation with my son or my daughter or my friend who says, 
said they're a believer and now they're struggling, how may I encourage them to maybe evaluate or examine the evidence of the genuineness of their salvation? I think we have answers for this. Now, I don't think the answer is um, how do they feel? Do they feel saved? Because our feelings are not the best way to indicate uh, whether we're genuinely saved. I also want to be very cautious that I don't think we can use like a timeline, a specific timeline, because I've had people actually ask me, okay, um, my friend who said they're a believer has not been walking with God for six months. Do you think they're still saved? Like six months is the uh, magic number. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that there's an exact number for that, so we have to be careful. I do think there, the Bible talks about if there's like a, a consistent like decades of walking away from God, that might be an indication. But I think there's two things that I would um, encourage people to be thinking about as we examine the evidence of the genuineness of our salvation. First of all, the evidence of spiritual fruit. You mentioned John chapter 15, and in John chapter 15, Jesus said that those who are truly in him will bear fruit, and so I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, John the Baptist, when he was dealing with the religious leaders who thought they were very spiritual, very God-based, uh, or God-secure in their minds, uh, he, and he was talking to them about the coming Messiah, he, he called them a bunch of snakes, <laughs> and because he was kind of challenging their lifestyle, and he said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath in Matthew chapter 3. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's, in essence, he's saying, listen, guys, if you, if, you're, if you claim to be genuinely repentant in your life, there will be some fruit. And this kind of carries out to us. If we, if we say we are followers of Christ and we've repented our sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ, will there be some eventual and gradual fruit in our life? I think absolutely. Not everything changes the next day, but there should be, should be some fruit. Another um, passage or area in the Bible that I would take somebody to, which I think is pretty powerful, but also pretty sobering, is in the parable of the soils that Jesus gives. And in the parable of the soils, he, he presents the, um, the seed as the word of God or the gospel that encounters different soil and then the responses. And uh, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but the first three um, types of soil, as they re receive the gospel, there's different responses. But it's clear in, in soil number one, soil number two, and soil number three that Jesus identifies the fact that none of those soils produce fruit. That means the gospel did not find root in these soils, and they did not produce fruit. And basically saying that th these first three uh, responses did not produce a genuine gospel faith. And then the fourth soil uh, receives the gospel, and then there's an abundant fruit that takes place. And Jesus highlights and commends this fourth type of soil. So I would say to somebody, uh, listen, if someone hears the gospel and responds to the gospel, uh, there will be fruit. If they hear the gospel and they just kind of throw out a prayer, but then there's nothing that happens that might be an indication that they really didn't genuinely um, respond to the gospel in faith. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I, I want maybe flesh out a little bit for me just the balance, because I, I hear you saying several things through this podcast. One is uh, genuine believers bear fruit, and I think this is what you're saying. If we look at the pattern of somebody's life, there's going to be uh, instances where we see people growing. They're not going to be perfect. They're still going to be sinning our lives until glory. On the other side, you made a comment of... Um, 
genuine believers can still fall into sin. I mean, there's David, uh, there's Galatians 6, 1 that says, you know, brothers and sisters, if any of you is caught in sin, restore them gently, where it says any among you. So it's really talking about believers among them, they're missed where they're caught in sin, which that, that Greek word caught is like a snare where it's not just, oh man, I sinned. It's, it's, oh, that, this is pretty serious. You have to go and restore them gently. Uh, Peter, you know, denied Christ three times. So there, there's genuine believers who fall into sin for periods, maybe a, a length of time. That, that seem, that, that's, a, that's a hard balance to keep. And um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, one of the ways I would answer that is that um, I, I would challenge people to think about Christianity as more of a journey than it is a destination. I'm, I'm thankful that through Jesus Christ, my eternal destiny is secure. But Christianity is so much more than a get out of hell card. It is about that journey. And if, if it's a journey, then during that journey, there should be some growth. There should be some change. There should be some progress that is clearly seen and marked uh, to indicate that I have made a commitment to that journey through Christ and that he's made a commitment to me to change me. So it's not just all on me. It's through the Holy Spirit. There's change taking place. And so I look at what you're saying, like the life of Peter. From where Peter came from to where he ended up, you see change. But even along the way, I think it's in the book of Galatians, Paul calls out Peter for, for being, uh, you know, being, showing favoritism. Do I think Peter lost his salvation? No. Or that he wasn't genuinely saved? No, he, he was. And you can see how God took him from being a fisherman to being uh, the preacher at Pentecost. But there's places along the way. But he still struggled with, with sin. But it's genuine. And even, even the disciples, the, the 12, the original 12, you see them growing and progress in their lives, except for one who claimed to be a disciple, who identified with the disciples, but it came very evident because of the lack of fruit that Judas was not part of them. That's good. I'm satisfied by that okay. answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think one of the ways we can examine the evidence is through our, the evidence of spiritual fruit. And the other is the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think this is really powerful because the Bible teaches that at the moment of salvation, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does a lot of things for us. Um, but there are a few things that the Holy Spirit does that I think um, really kind of seal the deal as it relates to us um, being saved or at least understanding and being able to be secure in that and evidenced of it. And here, here's, the, here's a couple examples of this. Um, well, let me back up for a second. I want to just share 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. So this is how we know that we're, we're a follower of Christ, that God, uh, that Christ is in us and we're in Christ. It says that he has given us of his spirit. So I would say for a person to know that they are truly saved, there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit indwelling. I think this is key. So someone say, how do I know if I'm really saved? All right, did you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. All right, so 
you have the Holy Spirit. Yes. So how do I know that this is working? First of all, there should be some evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Now, you and I both know that we don't live out the fruit of the Spirit 100% all the time. We fail in different ways. We're not always self-controlled. We're not always loving. We're not always peaceful. We're not always kind. But the idea is those things should be, should be more and more evident in our life as on display of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So flip the coin. Someone says, I prayed to receive Christ when I was 10, uh, but then as you're looking at their life, they're mean, they're nasty, they have no self-control, they don't really care about people, there's no peace in their life, there's no joy, there's no desire at all to please God in those ways, I would say, time out, we, we might have a problem here. Because the Holy Spirit should be living out those fruit, that fruit in your life. Secondly, I think there should be a level of desire for worship and a generally, general uh, thankful disposition. Ephesians chapter 5 said, don't be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. So how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit, which is an indication that we know we are saved? It says that we will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and being thankful in our, in our hearts to God for everything. So I'm not trying to overstate this, and I'm not saying that someone has to be a good singer, but I, what I'm saying is, how will I know if I'm truly saved? Well, do I enjoy worship? Do I enjoy entering in corporate worship and being around God's people and, and entering into praise with God even in my, in my own individual private life? Am I th thankful for what God has given to me? Am I a thankful person for all the blessings of God? I'm just saying, again, I don't fully know, Nick. Um, God is the ultimate judge. But if, if I encountered somebody who said, you know, one, one VBS in 1985, I, I went up and talked to the teacher. Great. How's your life right now? Well, you know what? This whole church worship thing, I can't stand Christian music. I can't stand hymns. I don't like to hear people sing about God. I don't sing about God. And I'm really a, a pretty uh, complaining person. I'm not really thankful for a whole lot. I just may say, time out. I'm not the judge. But I want, you, I want to show you this. I want to show you that one of the evidences of having the Holy Spirit is that these things are in your life. Um, a couple more. Do I have time for a couple more? Sure. All right, thanks. Um, I would say conviction of sin is a huge indication of whether we are a believer or not. Because the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That means that we refuse to follow him. We can, we can kind of battle against the Holy Spirit. And, and that's a good and a bad thing. It's bad that we refuse to follow the Holy Spirit, but it's a good thing that that battle's even happening because the battle to me is an indication that you have the Holy Spirit, and if you have the Holy Spirit, you're a genuine believer. So I would say to somebody who is dealing with sin or struggling with sin, like long term, but they don't ever feel a conviction about that, that that's a red flag. Now, I know that we can push against the Holy Spirit and not always feel that conviction, but if, if that's not there at all, there's a problem. I would say it this way, no conviction, no conversion. No battle, no believer. And Again, you and I have talked about the fact that there can be moments in our lives, there will be moments in our lives where we just put our heads down and we plow through and we, we sin and do things and disregard the Holy Spirit. But I have found even when I've done that, I'm, I'm still pushing against him. But if, if someone's talking to me and there's no pushback in their mind about the Holy Spirit, then I think that that's a problem. First John says, no one who lives in him keeps on sin sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, that's not saying that we won't sin after we're saved. Just saying if we're habitually involved in sin and we don't feel any remorse about that, then 
God's not in us. The Holy Spirit's not in us. One final thing. I think a desire to obey God's commands through the Holy Spirit is an indication that we are saved. 1 John chapter 3, 23 and 24. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. So breaking that down, simply put, that if I have a desire to follow the commands of Jesus Christ, follow the commands of God, follow the commands of Scripture, and I'm trying to live them out, that's an evidence of the um, indwelling of the Holy Spirit and an evidence that I'm a follower of Christ. So if someone is like, yeah, I got saved back here at this point, but I don't really care about following God, that's a red flag. They need to examine their life. Why, why, am, I live, am, I, why am I content living this way? Because a person who has the Spirit of God will be motivated to follow the commands of God. Yeah, that's really good. And one of the things one of the things that I think gets us in trouble is we're so uh, easy to play the comparison game. So we look at other people's lives and, well, I, I don't really bear fruit like this person or Pastor Jay is so spiritually mature. Uh, you know, I, I don't live my Christian walk like them. If that's you, I think you need to take a step back. Are you bearing more fruit than you did six months ago, a year ago, because we all start on different journeys. We all have different mm. gifts. We all have different sin struggles. And we have to compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, who's perfect. And if we look at the perfect example, then we really need to go to Christ for him to change us. But I, I think that's a trap that people fall into where, where you look around and you, like the things you're talking about, growing and um, fruit and dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you really need to look at your own life and say, okay, a year ago, five years ago, I am growing. Yeah, it looks different, and I started here, but Christ is growing in me. Yeah, and and I yeah. my favorite example is uh, was it falling down an up escalator where it's not yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not the perfect analogy, none are, but you know it's it's messy, but there's an upward trajectory. So I I think yeah. that's really good. Yeah, not yeah, you're right, Nick. And so we need to, it's good to be doing that uh, self-evaluation um, and, and being open to others speaking into our lives and encouraging us that way. I just wanted to uh, wrap up my time by focusing on just a couple, I think, um, practical applications of this topic of eternal security. Because I think uh, the way that we view this and understand it can have a direct impact on our, how we live our Christian lives. So I just want to mention two things. Uh, first of all is the idea of license. Um, because if someone um, has an, a misunderstanding of eternal security, they may say, yeah, I prayed that prayer and now I can live any way I want because I'm saved. That's dangerous. Um, because that's really not the purpose of salvation. You know, Romans chapter 8 should sin abound so that, or should I sin more so that grace should abound? Um, and Paul says, I forbid that, or God forbid that. And so the idea is, be careful that we don't just say, I can live any way I want because now I know uh, where I'm going to go when I die. Uh, the other side of that is legalism where I've encountered uh, Christians who say they believe in eternal security, but they really try to keep the rules because they're really trying to help God out. 
I'm going to keep the rules so I can maintain my salvation. Uh, that's also dangerous as well because that's really not uh, the purpose of salvation, and it's really placing the uh, emphasis, the preservation, the promise, all those things on us, and that's not what God has uh, shared in his word. So we need to be careful about those two extremes where I'm saved, and now I'm ready to go, and I can do whatever I want, or I'm saved, but I want to, you know, I'm going to do these things to keep my salvation instead of just revealing my salvation. So, practically speaking, that's it. <laughs> that's great. So, thank you, Pastor Jay. It's a great discussion. I, I see you've compiled some uh, resources about this topic. I'm not expecting you to say them, but just if you, the listener, have more uh, questions about this topic and want to do a deeper dive, we do have some resources that we'd be happy to send you and you can do your own study. We encourage those things. And uh, that's all the questions we have today on Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. Please join us next time and God bless. Thank you, Nick. <laughs>